Why? Is this biblical? You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome back to The Worship Review, the podcast which charitably and critically examines the texts that are sung in the church and by Christians. And around this time of year, every year, Christians start singing a certain category of songs uh, called Christmas songs or Advent songs or Advent hymns. And every year, uh, following suit, we have done uh, an evaluative series on these songs. And today we are continuing in our third such series with a song, uh, a spiritual called Go tell it on the mountain. My name is Tyler. I'm a linguist and I'm joined as ever by Colin who is unemployed. And <laughs> <laughs> I am employed in fact by a how do I always put it? A research university in the American Midwest. I mean, I act like I'm unemployed because that's the life of a university professor, right? Is it, is it you tell me. I've never been one. But somehow I get a salary. And uh, Colin, you you chose this song for us to talk about today. So I'm kind of curious, what drew you to Zach Williams's version of "Go Tell It on the Mountain"? Uh, well, Zach Williams's version was a very popular version, so I thought that would get more clicks. But the uh, song itself, I quite like. Like it's a, like I just have a a I, I, as a worship leader when Christmas time came around. I didn't always like playing the various Christmas songs, but I found Go Tell It on the Mountain just a fun song to play. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think this version of it, Zach Williams' version of it, is very fun. And sometimes you can tell, I think we've talked about artists like Sufjan Stevens, whom I like, uh, whose music I like, I should say, before. Uh, sometimes people transgress norms in order to just be transgressive. Uh, and this song, Go Tell on the Mountain by Zach Williams, he is breaking norms of worship music uh, because there's something good to be done differently than the way that it's normally done. And so when you listen to the song, it doesn't sound like contemporary Christian music. It sounds like kind of Southern gospel music uh, with a lot of like Southern rock mixed in. Uh, and he's doing it because he enjoys that sound. He enjoys that kind of music making and so uh, it just makes for a very pleasant listening experience. So Colin, can you can you tell us a little bit about this song other than the fact that you like it? Yeah, I was. And are therefore biased and your review should not be listened to? Well, exactly. So now everyone is going to listen to my views, I suppose. Well, first let me say that I was intrigued to learn that there is a much richer history to this song than I had suspected. I didn't know anything about the history of the song. It was interesting to learn that it was an african-american spiritual and s such that it, it is not exactly known what the original lyrics were it was sort of picked up and put together by a guy named uh, john w work and supposedly his father wrote some of these words that exist now because so the original words of the spiritual or spirituals that use these words or use some of them are no longer 
to be found. So it's it's kind of a it's like a relic of a lost song, and I don't know how much. It was really hard to figure that out, and it was also interesting because the song has been changed in large and small ways over over its history. So there's a group called Peter Paul and Mary, which some people will know of, others will not. Uh, in the '60s, early '60s, that changed the song, or well, are credited for changing the song to ending with rather than that Jesus Christ is born, it would end with let my people go. So go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere, to let my people go. And then the verses were about Moses or Paul uh, Paul and Silas being broken out of jail. And there's also a version of that song um, that seems to have been floating around the civil rights movement that protesters were singing and uh, was sort of a source of inspiration during that movement. And there's just dis- there's dispute about whether it's Peter, Paul, and Mary that wrote the song and then the civil rights movement used it, or whether the civil rights movement, it kind of came out of that movement and then Peter, Paul, and Mary snatched it up and then made a lot of money off of it. So that's an open question with that version of the song. I don't know. So the song has had a lot of um, history. Yeah, I enjoyed looking into some of the background of the song. And uh, there are three John W. works, (laughs) the first, the second, and the third. Uh, And uh, John W. Work the second uh, was born in 1872 and died in 1925. Uh, And he was really the researcher and compiler and one of the first one of the more groundbreaking first researchers of african-american folk music and spirituals and uh he studied at uh fisk university which is a um, historically uh black college in nashville and uh he also taught latin and greek yes i was a classicist which i thought was pretty cool yeah he's he just seems like a, a like a renaissance man um and there are quite a few spirituals who kind of resemble uh, this structure, this, this um, where you have a refrain, it's, it's a rather uh, simple refrain, and then verses that are very descriptive. There's one about um, uh, Zion, this holy city, and it, it talks about what Zion will look like with the walls and the gates and, and so on. And um, I, I was very curious, because as you mentioned, the, the versions just, they kind of morph and shift over time. And, and I think part of that results from this coming out of out of a culture of oral history transmission and, and oral culture transmission, uh, so that you don't have a kind of authoritative first text from which they're working. Um, so everyone is kind of free to, to riff on it, so to speak, and change it. And I, I think even Zach Williams does that. So yeah, I, I looked at um, 
early versions of this, uh, according to hymnary.org, this was first published in 1907. That would be by uh, Mr. Mr. Work II. And upon review of that publication in 1907 and later versions of it, we were not able to find that. What we are able to find is a 1940 publication by Mr. Uh, John W. Work III, who uh, posthumously, after this researcher had died, um, let published a ton of his his research and work and so on page 215 this is accessible through the New York uh, Public Library um, this book called African or sorry American Negro songs and spirituals um, by John work and on page 215 there we have this this text as it is pretty much today unchanged um, except there's a little note there's an asterisk and a note at the bottom and it says in handwriting, these verses were supplied by John Work Sr. in place of the original ones, which could not be found. So, uh, like you said, Colin, it's it's not even clear if these verses are the verses that the spiritual originally had, or they they were um, period similar texts that were added into this added into this song. So. It's an interesting uh, story of transmission. And I've also found some comments that uh, Zach Williams gave about this uh, song, Colin. If you'd like to hear them, he says, Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ was born. I can't think of a more needed message right now. Now, this was in 2020. Williams states on his revised classic, 2020 has shaken many of us to the core, and as this year comes to a close, I want this to be the message that ends our year. No matter your struggles, Jesus Christ was born to set you free. I checked another box on my bucket list recording at Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and this rendition is filled with a mix of the soul of that legendary studio, the camaraderie of my bandmates, and the message of hope that Jesus was born to save us all. So, with that in mind, Colin... Why don't we go and tell it on the podcast? We'll take a look at... <laughs> Sorry, I've been waiting to do That's that. That's good. We'll, <laughs> we'll take a look at the lyrics here. While shepherds kept their watching o'er silent flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy light. Colin, what have we in this first stanza? So this is like a setting the scene, the opening act, the curtain rolling up, that kind of thing, and we have a, a setting in front of us where we have shepherds watching over silent flocks. So we get a few verbs that speak to what we see and what we hear and then there's this behold and we have a holy light now anybody familiar with the christmas story knows what's coming next we're gonna have lots of angels and we're gonna have glorying to god and i suppose it's kind of a metaphor for christ himself his appearance right his appearance being wonderful his appearance being stupendous it being something that was quite dramatic yeah, I wondered if this was uh, from Luke 2, the uh, glory of the Lord shining around the angels that uh, was kind of illuminating. Yeah, I think so. Illuminating things. And it, I, I appreciate that you are reading this um, 
line by line because like you said if you're familiar with the christmas story it's hard not to just think about where this is going but you're right this does kind of it, it like opens and then it builds a little bit of suspense and and we have silence and then it's contrasting with what's coming so you know the silence i thought at first like well that's a little bit weird to describe flocks as silent because flocks are not silent even at night like they're sheep are constantly making noise you know there there would just be there would be little sounds it's not entirely quiet i'm sure oh yeah sure but it's just the idea of contrast with what is going to come and so it's a sensible sensible word to use i suppose yeah i i i have really nothing more to say on that uh i could talk a bit more about the verbs but i think we've covered most of them before so let's talk about this refrain oh i said no tell it on the mountain over the hills and everywhere oh tell it on the mountain that jesus christ is born go Tell it on the mountain, over the hills, and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. So now we have a command, and the command is obviously looking forward to what we're going to know once the verses are done. And there's uh, this refrain comes over and over again, almost to say, whatever you just heard about in the verse, because the verses are going to tell the story or kind of give the details, and then the choruses are saying, all of that information you've been given in the verse, go and share that with somebody. Uh, I like, there's a, there's a change here by Zach Williams, or at least by somebody, and Zach Williams has borrowed it, I don't know, but instead of saying that Jesus Christ is born, which is the way that I know it and have always heard it, he changes the that to our. So he says, go tell it on the mountain, our Jesus Christ is born, at least in a version that I listened to, which is a nice addition. I, I think this is an improvement, actually. Nice way to, to talk about Christ belonging to us and us belonging to him and to kind of more personalize the story instead of being an observer uh, and a person who's now being told to go tell it on the mountain. The person is, it almost adds a kind of, a, not a participation, but like when you're reading the verses now, it's like, oh, that's that Jesus is mine the one that i'm the one that i'm reading about or hearing about in the verses so i think that's nice too uh last thing i'll say is just the go tell it on the mountain which you could take that a few different ways obviously in a in a world without amplification electronic amplification standing and shouting from a mountain is a great idea we actually have this in scripture so isaiah 42:11 says let the wilderness and its towns raise their voices let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. So when something is particularly exciting or it brings a person a lot of joy or it is something that should be known to everybody that would bring a people joy, it could be should be shouted from the mountaintops. Or we have a similar phrase to shout from the rooftops, for example. But the same idea it's that this news that jesus came is the sort of thing that's worth shouting out to everybody that everybody should know about i think yeah i think it's it's symbolic of uh the uh yeah literally the elevated status of this news it is it is worthy of you know climbing mountains for to proclaim 
um, and the desire to oh, hear that's it. a good point. You have to climb up to the mountain to shout from it, so it's worth the work. Yeah, and I, I also thought of Isaiah 42, and uh, looking at uh, what follows that, that verse, let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. So it's going through a bunch of different kind of regions. The Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. So this Isaiah verse is really a shout of triumph. And I think that's also what's going on in Luke chapter 2 and in this song. We celebrate the good news that Jesus Christ is born, but it's not just cooing over a baby. We are announcing God is bringing, in a very real sense, his war on sin, on death, on hell, and on Satan to the world right here in this man, Jesus Christ. I like the phrase Jesus Christ, aside from being his name, or a name and a title, I should say, uh, the, the two names each mean something powerful. So Jesus is his given name, but it also comes from Joshua. It's God who saves and Christ being the anointed one or the Messiah. So when we say that Jesus Christ is born or our Jesus Christ is born, we are saying God has sent his salvation in the Messiah to us and uh, ultimately this messiah is god himself right it is god who saves in jesus's name there so i think it's very good like you i appreciate the kind of personalizing nature of changing that to our our jesus christ is born and yet at the same time it does take uh lyrics that were slightly less ambiguous pretty clear tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born, or that that clause can be subsumed in the it so that you could theoretically say, go tell that Jesus Christ is born on the mountain. Now you have to infer that our Jesus Christ is born is the uh, content or the antecedent of that it. But I don't think that would be uh, or is that troubling of, of a thing. It yeah, just, I think that's pretty nitpicky. Maybe. As they say. Maybe it's nitpicky, uh, but... It is. If I, well, but no, because theoretically, and not just theoretically, it's possible if I said, go tell it on the mountain, our Jesus Christ is born. You could say, oh, is the it our Jesus Christ is born? Or am I just telling something on the mountain and you're telling me now that you're celebrating that Jesus Christ is born? Well, I mean, I, I think a reasonable per person would infer, go tell it could then, it might mean the verse. It might mean the thing that was just said. And then if our Jesus Christ is born is a separate statement, I don't know, so what? It's true. <laughs> oh, okay. So, but but you can see, I think even by this disagreement here, Colin, you're making clear that there is an ambiguity in what is being told, right? So it, if it's the that clause, it's very clear. That's my view. But it yes. sounds like you're saying the that content of the it. verses is what the it is. So which one is it? It doesn't matter because the verses are a good thing to tell on the mountain because they're telling about Jesus and then the that Jesus Christ is born. If we're telling about that from the mountains, that's a good thing to say from the mountains too. I see the point. I see your point. Uh, both things are good things to shout from the mountain. Let's let's see some more things that can be shouted, shall we? <laughs> Shepherds fear and tremble when low above the earth. Ring out our 
The shepherds feared and trembled when, lo, above the earth rang out an angel chorus that hailed our Savior's birth. I have nothing to say about this. I mean, this is Luke 2. I don't see anything here that strikes me as a miss. It's a nice summary of it. Anything more to say about this? I'm not convinced of the angel chorus bit because scripture I think the person who pointed this out to us was Daniel Mount. Um, and the more I've thought about it, it's it's just kind of stuck with me. We don't have scriptural prohibition of saying that angels sing. We have some scriptural warrant for saying that angels sing. So in Job, um, Job, there's this reference to uh, the morning stars singing the song of creation. This is also something that comes up in angels from the realms of glory. But in Luke 2, verse 11, if we're being, I'm not, I'm not going to say nitpicky, but if we're just being textualists, it says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So, if we're just going from what the text says, there isn't warrant for saying that they sang or that they were a chorus or that they were uh, filling the sky with song. If we're going from other depictions of angels in the Bible, there is some uh, warrant for it. Obviously, like I mentioned from Job, there are plenty of psalms that talk about the need for humans to sing praise to God. In Revelation 5, we have this chorus around God's throne. This, this is what it says in Revelation 5. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And reading a little bit further, when he had taken it, meaning a scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people, and they sang a new song. Um, and then later, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying... Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, and so on and so forth. Um, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne, Be praise and honor and glory. Um, and then the elders fell down and worshipped. So uh, this is also complicated by the fact that, uh, this is not my word, but some things I have read about the Hebrew word for singing, uh, it cannot be easily distinguished from the verb to shout or to, to make loud noises of praise. So it's it's ambiguous. Uh, and so that's just my only, my only critique is that the text on which the song is based or uh, seems to be based doesn't give us warrant for saying sing. Scripture is somewhat ambiguous on the point, but I think it's ambiguous in a way that kind of leans away from saying they uh, saying, um, and so we're left with people like me on podcasts talking about it. So now this song doesn't say sang. No. This song says it chorus. says chorus. But but presumably 
there's no such thing as a chorus that would just shout something. I don't think so. I would associate even just the word chorus with choir and yeah, choral. with and singing. So same. Yeah, I feel the same way. All right, well, maybe they didn't sing. Maybe they did. We don't know. Although it just brings up all sorts of interesting questions about, like, why we say things like, you know, angelic voice. I don't know. I wonder where that tradition came from. Why, why did somebody... Why did somebody decide to say angels sung? The other thing, um, just so people you just so that you know, uh, low was originally just a contraction of look, and so just like in the first verse when it says behold, it's doing the same thing. It's just saying look above the earth, uh, or uh, yeah, point your attention in this direction. in a lowly manger our humble christ was born and god sent us salvation on that blessed christmas morn again i have i have very little to say we noticed the change to our humble christ again but yeah here we go christ is the savior this is good so it's not just a christmas story that is a nice thing to look at but it has a meaning for us so there is really something here to go tell on the mountain yeah and uh, what do you think about the, the phrase humble Christ? Yeah, it's scriptural idea. He's near to the downtrodden. Absolutely. I was a lonely seeker. I saw both night and day. And I asked the Lord to help me. He showed me the way. I was a lonely seeker. I sought both night and day, and I asked the Lord to help me and he showed me the way. This was not a set of lines that I had heard heard before in all of the times that I have sung this song. And at first I thought, oh great, this is Zach Williams making something up that doesn't really make any sense. And then I it looks to me like actually in older versions of the song, this these lines are there. Or, or variants of these lines. I've seen two variants. I've seen some that say when I was a sinner and some that say when I was a seeker. I think the seeker is the older one, but it's tough to tell. And it goes back to the history of the song being relevant here and not just trivia that we shared about on the podcast. But the fact that this that the original text doesn't exist and, so, and there are clearly variants uh, is part of either a different spiritual that was brought in, or maybe this was part of the original spiritual and the Christmas part was later brought in. Because this, I don't know what this has to do with the Christmas story. The, the subject is completely different. It's, it's now about just the person singing and the person talking about seeking night and day for God's help in a kind of generic way. And then God showing the way, again, whatever that, whatever it's very vague and again it just has nothing to do with the christmas story nothing to do with it yeah i think so when i when i look at this 1940 version which is the earliest one that we've been able to find i don't see this line in there and so i my my hypothesis would be that this is another spiritual that has been added to this uh to this song 
because we don't have a clear timeline for the the development of all of these versions and variants. Yeah, I, I don't know. It just it's so illogical to add this to the Christmas version. I have to think that it's actually a different version of the song where the whole subject of the song was different. Potentially like the civil rights version that was floating around. Yeah, and just to bear in mind, like like we said earlier, he apparently wrote these lyrics in in with the explicit caveat that these were not the original lyrics. So the lyrics that we have, he apparently conceded, or at least his son did. These are not the originals. They were added by him, by John Work. So, yeah, like the like you were hinting at, these these could be the original lyrics to the song that are just kind of popping up back in there, or they could be another variant of the song, or a different version, or a different song yeah. altogether. Just don't know. I mean, I don't quite like them. <laughs> I, I think it just it's it does they don't make sense in the you know it's just jarring to to have everything switch like this. I don't like the idea of a seeker either. You know, I mean, to be explicit, Romans three eleven says there is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. The idea of the seeker, I'm not convinced that is a, um, a biblical idea at least in terms of generalizing that to people, just sort of describing people as just looking for God and they just can't find him. I, I just don't think that's the way it works. I'll read to you this. So this is from Hymns and Carols of Christmas. They they mention in a, in a footnote um, that there's an old, apparently an old Negro spiritual called When I Was a Seeker that this may have been based on. Um, and then it, that this song, Go Tell on the Mountain, bears resemblance to this spiritual called We'll March Around Jerusalem. And if I may, I'll just read you some of these lines because I think it really does sound similar. There's a holy city, a happy place above, among the starry regions, built by the God of love. Yes, we'll march around Jerusalem, we'll march around Jerusalem, we'll march around Jerusalem when we arrive at home. I mean, syllabically, the structure is very similar. Mm. Um, there's a lot yep. of repetition. Images from the Old Testament are there. So, And I have to imagine, I don't know that much about African-American spirituals, but many folk songs are you know there there are a, there are a there's a group of melodies and then various lyrics and themes and whole songs are attached to the same melodies and so who knows if a version of go tell it on the mountain was sung that was more christmas oriented and then then using the exact same melody in some you know county a few counties away they sung this version about Jerusalem. And then at some point, again, they get they just get kind of mixed up. Mm -hmm. You just see that happening. He made me a watchman upon a city wall. And if I am a Christian, I am the least of all. So, again, I <laughs> uh, I don't know what this has to do with Christmas at all. I don't know what this has to do with Christmas. So I just wonder if this is, again, more, more stuff that's taken from elsewhere. But it is biblical, the, this idea of the watchman on the wall. I mean, this is in several places in Scripture. Ezekiel is the one that I'm remembering, but I think it's elsewhere. I don't know what it is useful. I don't know why it is useful to say, if I am a Christian, I am the least of all. 
Do you have ideas, Tyler? I I I don't know. I it it is beyond me. The content there is not an issue, but the continuity is not clear from what came before, so it's hard to speak on it. But yeah, we are to be the least of all, and uh, he has made us watchmen. Well, now wait a second. Let me let me think about this. Actually, if okay, so if I am a Christian. I am the least of all. Now, there's no then there, but it's implied. So this is a rhetorical if, of course, the person's a Christian because they're singing about this and they're telling it on the mountain. So they're doing Christian things. Why? Is this biblical? I think this is something like whoever exalts himself shall be humbled and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Or okay, first shall be shall last, be first, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think this is, this is saying, um, yeah, it's rhetorical if then. Of course, he is a Christian at this point, if he's still singing the song sincerely, I guess you can't really sing the song and not be sincere. Well, you can, but I mean, I mean, is this something that should be told on the mountain? It seems. I don't think these belong. Weird. I don't think these lyrics belong with what came before. So yeah, no, I don't think this is. Uh, I don't think this goes with what came before it. So I don't think I can really attribute this to something that would be said on the mountain. Yeah. Yes, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a huge fan. Uh, and once again, I will just remind listeners, the 1940 version does not have this half stanza or the one preceding it with I was a lonely singer. Really? Does it have any does it have something else? No, it just has three stanzas and go tell it on the mountain as a refrain. Hmm. So, all right. I I like the 1940 version a little better textually than this one just because it's more cohesive. So, Let's chat about, well, we've already chatted. Colin, what are your concluding thoughts? At length. Um, so I'll keep Excuse my comments me, at short. Length. That I'll is what say, we do on this podcast, Colin. We speak I know at length. And for some bizarre reason, people listen to it. Um, so this is a good song, especially the lines about Christmas. I think they're strong for Christmas songs. They're very explicit. They don't just speak about the story as a story. It's something that has meaning to us and belonging to us, and there is an us. Jesus Christ is mentioned explicitly. His role as Savior is mentioned explicitly. And then the second half of the song, I think, is less useful. It's not that there is anything wrong in it per se, but it's it's a little bit vacuous and yeah, just not sure what it accomplishes. So the song has a coherence issue for sure. But if you had just had the first half of the song, it would be very coherent and clear. Yeah, I think these are two different songs that have been put together, or two different versions of the same song, very different versions. And this would be one of those instances where I think you just say, okay, I get that there's some tradition that at some point it was written down or somebody decided to mush these two things together, but it's not like you have to keep doing that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, from from what I have, yeah, I don't know. There, there's, I feel like I'm touching on a much bigger topic here, but there's a lot of mythology about this song, and what is what is what is able to be known certainly is much smaller than what has been postulated about this song. Yeah, what we know for certain yeah. is that it was published in 1940. It may have been published in 1907. Where it was sung, when it was sung, what it's based on. These are all things that have to be inferred from looking at similar 
songs and tunes elsewhere. Very murky history. Okay, well, with that in mind, Colin, what did you give it? Yeah, I'm going to give it four out of five caches because the version of this that I saw and listened to was uh, showed him this guy, Zach Williams, in the on the set of The Chosen, which is a TV show about the disciples and Christ as well. And Zach Williams and his band, like, rocking out with the Southern Rock, uh, I don't know, like in Jerusalem somewhere. Not actually in Jerusalem, but on the set of the show meant to look like ancient Jerusalem. And he's wearing all black, um, which made me think of Johnny Cash. And then I was reflecting on the last song of his that we reviewed, which had him go to prison and perform in prison like Johnny Cash. And I thought, oh, is this guy got kind of a Johnny Cash thing? He's got kind of a Johnny Cash aesthetic. And then he has a bit of a Credence Clearwater vocalization. So anyway, so I gave it four out of five Cash's. I think his testimony or his story also sounds a bit like Cash's story in that he had this rock lifestyle where he was living in excess in, in various ways and was reformed by God to serve God through music. So yeah, I'll, I'll actually give it a four as well. I was I was kind of on the fence. I I thought five would be good. Uh, I would probably give that uh, that 1940 version, the original version. A five, uh, yeah. which sounds Me surprising too. because typically we want like a lot of a lot of detail in a song or a lot of theological content. And in this, the, it's all packed into very it's just the song is composed in a very different way and so there's a lot of theological truth here like like telling it on the mountain for example but you you have to do digging to figure out where the images come from um but yeah four out of five and i'm gonna give it four out of five home videos because the music video for this song takes i don't know if it's for christmas or just because they felt like doing this for this song a kind of nostalgic affect and so there are various different things that look like they came from the early 80s in the music video including footage which appears to be from a handheld uh camcorder where people were recording on actual analog film rather than digitally and you can tell you can just tell by looking at it and so it just made me think of old home videos of christmas time that uh, people collect or collected when i was a kid so yeah that's that's it four out of five Thanks, listeners, for tuning in. Go and tell it on Twitter and elsewhere, wherever you tell things, uh, that this podcast is rolling. And share it with your friends. Consider a year-end gift to brighten our uh, Christmas uh, cheer here on the Worship Review. And we look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.